Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Well, good morning, Lifehouse family. How's everyone doing today? Everyone ready for God at the Movies, Black Panther? We're going to jump right in. We're going to jump right in. Um, man, Black Panther, so much good stuff to preach from this movie. It was so hard to pick, but I had to pick something. All right, I want to start off with this thought. Um, Wakanda, in many ways, I see is like the church. Wakanda had something that the world needed. What did it have? Okay, no one saw this movie. Vibranium. Vibranium. It was used. Technological advances, scientific advancements. It, it, it had the capability to do so much good in the world, but they didn't want the world to know they had it. So they presented themselves as a third world country while they were actually holding on to what could change the world. And what you see, the progression you see throughout this whole movie, right at the end, King, King T'Challa gets up there in front of the United Nations, and what he says is Wakanda will not rule, will not rule by fear no more. That, that basically saying, I will t- we will take what we've got, we will take what we have been given, this insane technology, and we will use it as a force for good in the world instead of being fearful of what it could do. Wakanda had a coming out party, I guess you could say. Said, so this is who we are to the world. This is, this is us. We're not a third world country. We've got the answer that the world needs, actually. And I believe in many ways Wakanda is just like the church. I'll be straight up with you. I'm a church guy. I love the church. I'm a church junkie. Like every time Kristen and I go on vacation. My wife never wants to go to church, <laughs> flat out. Sorry, Kristen. Uh, she, she's just like, we're in church all the time. I don't want to go to church. I just, I just, I, I just want a vacation. I just want to, want to, and I'm like, we're going to church. We're going to, because I, because I, I want to see what this church is doing. I want to see what the church has, has going on. I want to see what, you know, what can, what can I possibly learn and pick up from this other church? Like I, I just, I love the church. I want to give my life to the church. If there's something that, that I want to die doing, it's giving my life to see the church thrive. Like that is, I believe that's why I'm on this planet, is I want to see the church win. Why? Because the church was born to win. I want to say that very, very clearly. The church was born to win. Matthew chapter 16, 18, this is Jesus here speaking with his disciples. I want to kind of paint this picture for you. Jesus, he's, he's got his 12 disciples following them, and he takes them for this particular passage to a place called Caesarea Philippi. To you, that might not mean very much. So um, think of the city Las Vegas. Sayings like, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Essentially saying, you go to Las, to Las Vegas to what? 
party, have fun, lose yourself, just live it up. And really, if you think about it, Vegas is kind of a place that is seen as this really immoral place where people go to, I mean, they call it the city of what? Sin. Like, when your city is defined as the city of sin, that's crazy. And, and what Jesus does here, he takes, his, he takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi that would be considered in that day the Las Vegas, that would be considered in many respects the city of sin. He takes them up to this point overlooking Caesarea Philippi, and he says this to them. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. So here he's speaking to the, to the disciples' leader, Peter. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Hades means hell. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to tell you, the destiny of the church is that it would never slow down. The destiny of the church is that it would end. It would be, it would be so powerful that not even the gates of hell would be able to stand against the church. Anybody believe that today? I believe that. I believe the church is the most powerful force this world has ever seen or, or possibly known. But let's be honest, I don't think many of us would say that. And many of us would say uh, the church is actually losing. The church is losing ground. Like, yeah, John, the church might be destined to win, but it's on a losing streak. I mean, if Jesus himself, the person overseeing the church, the, the person that the church was founded on and founded upon, says not even the gates of hell would be able to overcome it. But how do we take what Jesus said and what we see? How do we make that match? Because I believe, honestly, many respects, many of us would say the church isn't winning. But... But check it out. Jesus took them to this spot, I think, on purpose. Jesus said, I'm going to take you to the worst spot where, honestly, just imagine being a good Jewish disciple and your leader taking you to the Las Vegas of that day. Like, good Jewish boys didn't go here, right? It's like, my mom's going to kill me. Jesus is leading me to, live to the city of sin. But Jesus took them to the most immoral godless place and told them in places like this my church will win in places where it is godless immoral and god is not even in the picture here even in places like this the church will win that's god's word right there now like i said how do you take that with kind of what we see we see the church losing and the church is like honestly freaking out and i mean you've got these huge buildings huge buildings with no one in them and i mean honestly let's just be honest like church most church buildings aren't filling up and we can say well if the church is supposed to win then why and stats would say this 65 to 80 percent of churches in the united states are declining some people say 65 some people say 75 80 look the the, the bottom line is is a majority of churches in the united states are not they're not winning and and let me tell you this it's when i say win i'm not just talking about people 
buildings. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the things that we typically see winning as. Because honestly, you can have a church full of people, but no one follows Christ. Let's just be honest. Numbers mean nothing, right? Yeah, no, I mean numbers mean something, but at the same same time, we don't base success on just who shows up. We base success on is the church, is people having influence in the community? Is it influencing the way that people treat each other? Like, is it, is it, is like, are people actually living and following the way of Jesus? And that's what I think say, is the church winning? And I mean, but, but, but do you want know the bottom line is the early church? They were a church in the Roman Empire. Like, they were a part of one of the most godless, immoral, time periods ever in the church in the context of the Roman Empire emperors and all of these crazy things going on the church ended up so much so winning that by the year 323 somewhere around there the church ended up being the national religion so what was it about the church that thrived Jesus said it is destined to win it not even hell can overcome it what was it that pushed the, the church forward then, but why are we seeing the decline now? My heart today is to inspire you to love the church. My heart is to inspire you, not just this church, not just, not just Lifehouse Church, but the church in general. Why? Because the church was destined and born to win. But man, check it out, right? I, I'll just be straight up. I, th- I think... A huge reason why churches are in many ways falling behind is because we give excuses. Well, the culture is just going to hell. People don't want God. They're godless and mean and arrogant. Scripture says in the final days, people will be arrogant and boastful and not love God. They'll be lovers of selves instead of lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. And, and honestly, I, just, I think that's been all of humanity for all periods of time. Like, I don't think we're any different. It's just, honestly, the church loves to make excuses as to why it's not having impact. And the thing is, you can make excuses or you can make change, but you can't do both, right? And so, honestly, the church, in many ways, has to instead say, oh, my gosh, we, you know, we're losing because of this. We're losing because of who's in Senate. We're losing because who's the president. We're losing for all these, you know, they took prayer out of schools. How can the world be saved if prayer's not in schools? Which I just think is funny. Because when prayer was in schools, it was forced prayer. And is it the, like one of the founding things of our country not to force religion on people? Yeah. So we were forcing people to pray? That seems weird. But the bottom line is that if you're a Christian and you go to a school, you can pray. <laughs> you can't, you know, stand up on a chair, <laughs> you know, and everybody here! We're going to have a prayer meeting in 20 minutes right over there, right? It's like, no, I mean, obviously you can't do that. But at the same time, if you're a Christian, you can go into a school and you can pray over the school. Prayer was not taken out of schools. Forced prayer was. If you're a Christ follower, you have the opportunity to have influence in that school with your unspoken but heartfelt prayers. Prayer can still have influence. But here's the thing. Behind that, I think, 
It's Christians making excuses as to why they think the church is not working and why the church isn't having influence and things like that. And my heart is, is, is to see the church have influence again. Why? Because I believe the church holds the most precious thing in this world, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But here's the thing. In the same way, Wakanda had the answer, but they were fearful. They kind of just held it back. But, it, but then at the same time, at the very end, they said, we're, we're going to come out of living in fear, and we're going to take what we have been given and give it to the world and, have it and, and, and see change happen. I believe that's what the church needs to do. We need to stop walking in, in fear and start saying we have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to change the human heart. So let's not walk in fear. But at the same time, I'm going to give you a few thoughts of what I think needs to happen for the church to win, for the church to have influence. I believe this might sound like a weird statement, so I need you to stick with me because this is going to sound morbid. We have dying churches because the church won't die. Welcome to Lifehouse. We have dying churches because the church won't die. Now, I, I want to explain this concept some before I dive in, all right? I, I think we've got to be sure as Christians and Christ followers that death is seen with the right perspective, okay? Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, that as Christians, we should view death differently. Paul says this, as Christians... We should grieve whenever a Christian dies, but at the same time, we don't grieve with no hope. We grieve with hope. Why? Because honestly, as a Christ follower, one of the most important things you could ever do to get what God has for you is die. Okay, no one's excited about this. Okay, awesome. I'm talking about death here. Why aren't y'all excited? No, but you, you know you can't have a resurrected body that is that will never die never have sickness again never have cancer again you can't obtain that resurrection body that god promises unless you die so honestly in god's economy your death will actually equal your life in your death you will gain a life even greater let me talk about this guy, Jesus. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But it was in Jesus' death, through his death on the cross, that billions of people, including you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you gain life through Jesus' death. Jesus actually said this in, in John chapter 12. He's talking with his disciples right before he's going to the cross and right before he dies. He says this, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus is saying my life is literally like, like a seed that it is going to go down and it's going to die. But through my death, billions of other people are going to experience life. It's the power of a seed. A seed can plant a tree, which then a tree bears more fruit. And a fruit has what? Seeds. And then with seeds, you can plant more trees that have more fruit, that have more seeds, 
With those seeds, you can plant. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see this whole thing? In God's economy, death is not a sentence. It is a seed. Some of y'all need to tweet that. In God's economy, death is not a sentence for you to actually endure. Death is a seed. Let me, I, now here's the thing. I know I'm kind of talking about broad, broad things here. So let me get it down more into your life. Maybe even personally here. I was in a two and a half year relationship, 20, 21 to 23 and a half. Thought she was going to be, well, I, my wife's not here, right? Okay, good. Um, <laughs> you know, was in a two and a half year relationship. Thought this was going to be the one. You know, you don't date no one for two and a half years just to break up. You know, it's like, it's like okay, cool, this is going to work out. This is, this is going to be awesome. And, um, but after two and a half years, I had finally gotten hired. I was going to be going to Horseheads, New York for my first job in youth ministry. Um, and whenever I talked to her about it, she wasn't very thrilled. And um, honestly, we had a big argument. And um, so it was kind of like, honestly, we kind of talked about it, argued. And it really ended up, the relationship died. It died. It was two and a half years, and, and it, it died. And I'll be straight up honest with you, it, it was one of the hardest things that I have ever endured. You know, if, if, if something in your life dies, there is a grieving period. I don't care if it's a person, if it's a dream, if it's a relationship. If it mattered to you and it died, there's going to be a point where you've got to grieve it or you will relive it. Okay? Because some of y'all are, you're, you're like, why am I just, I just, because you're grieving. And it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve the loss of something that was super important to you, right? But it was in that grieving, a few weeks later, the Bible college that I was at, Kristen got on my radar. And I was like, well, maybe this wasn't all bad. <laughs> maybe, maybe that relationship dying was actually the seed to resurrect the real relationship that I needed to be in. Come on, y'all. I want y'all to get this. I want y'all to get this. Because I know it applies to something with, with you, whether it's a dream or whether it's a relationship or whether it's something you're going through right, right now. You've seen it, whatever's going on in your life, as a death sentence when actually it's a seed in your life to resurrect you towards something better and greater in your life. But in God's economy, something that dies, it's not a sentence. It's a seed for something better and greater that God wants to do in your life. Basically, you can't have a resurrection without death. Everyone wants life, resurrection, and all of this stuff. But typically, that doesn't happen without a death first. And, and so we, we've got to see the correlation between death and resurrection. And we can see... We, we got to see the correlation between death and life before I think we can see what will propel the church from death to life. Okay? Y'all following? So I believe if we're going to see the church resurrect again, if we're going to see the church thrive again, there are some things that in the church have to die. And I'm not just talking about 
this church. I'm talking about the church. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, possibly these are going to be more for you personally. Here's the thing. God's word, I preach this stuff, and I don't know how it applies to you. I just say, God, take it and apply it to their life. So that's what I am specifically praying for you, that God will take the words today and apply it how he only knows how. Because here's the thing. Look, I could, I could be talking and preaching, and God will speak to you something that is completely opposite of what I'm saying. And I pray for that. I'm like, God, everyone that walks in here, you know them better than I ever could. You know what they need today. So I pray that you would give them what they need, not just what I'm saying. So God, I pray that you would speak to them. And I've been praying for you. We have been praying for you. And I believe that God is going to speak to you something fresh and new today as we dive in to we have a dying church because the church doesn't, does not die. We're going to dive into this. But at the same time, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you in whatever way you need today. Amen? So look, I believe there's a few things the church needs to die to. So different things can actually resurrect. The first thing, the church needs to die. Oh, this is my favorite point. Die to consumerism. So generosity can resurrect. Die to consumerism. So generosity can resurrect. I don't don't think it's any secret. We live in a consumeristic culture. And what we mean by consumeristic is this. Things exist for our benefit. That we get choices. We get the choice to pick what we want that will add the most value to us. And actually, we typically make decisions based on what gives us the most value without giving up anything. That's typically the way we make choices. Is our choices are typically like made on what gives me the most value without giving anything in return. We do this in, in relationships where you think, and, I, and I, I'm going to pick on guys. Can I? Love you, fellas, but let me pick on you a little bit. You try to find women that will just sleep with you and give you what you want and maybe even let you live in their house. And you want to get everything you can with the least amount of commitment on, with the least amount of commitment in return. It's despicable. Love you. Love you. But if you're a Christ follower, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's not the gospel. That's not Jesus who had the biggest position of anyone in the planet and threw it down and said, I'm not going to use it just to get. I'm going to use what I have been given to serve. And as men of God, nah, it's not the way it should be. Ladies, if you have a guy like that, (laughs) this is called the right foot of fellowship. (laughs) Lovingly. No, and 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 look, man, I'm I'm not here to to whatever, okay, for real. I'm 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 really not, but I genuinely care because we are being culturally conditioned to be consumers. And where this unfortunately wreaks its really ugly head is in the church, where people go and try to find churches. And I think a term that I get, okay, that I'm, I'm not bashing no one for it, but that I think we use, um, but I think is dangerous, is this word church shopping, where we say, I'm trying to find a church that just meets my needs. 
And I want to say to you that that is a culturally conditioned mindset where we have said the church exists as something that we consume. And with that, here, here's what I do know, though. Look, I, you need to find a church. You need to be a part of a church that you, yes, you feel like you can be you and like, like you feel that you fit. And, and that's what I know all of, all of you do. I'm not talking about anyone here. But I'm, I'm just saying, though, we, we've got to be careful not to just find or pick a church based on what needs are met. Why? Because I don't think Jesus, in his mind, when he created the church, said, how can I meet people's needs? I think it was probably more like, how can I create a church where people can meet someone else's need? Instead of always saying, what needs can I have met? What if we said, what need can I meet? Right? And so I, in what I think happens here and why I think the church in many regards is falling behind is because, and I'll be honest, we're definitely part of this too, is we've created a consumer culture that, that says we just want to provide things that meet your needs instead of giving you a vision and a picture of what it means to follow Christ where it's not all about you getting, it's about you giving your life to. And that's what the church is, guys. The church, I've heard it put this way, the church, you're gonna see the church as a cruise ship or a battleship. You're gonna see the church as a cruise ship or a battleship. And I've never been on a cruise. Who's been on a cruise? I've never been on one. We actually have a guy here that sells them. So if you wanna go on a cruise, we have Frank Squalachi right over here. You can get all of your cruise needs met. <laughs> but I think, I think, just make sure you tithe, Frank. Okay, whatever you make, just make sure you tithe, brother, all right? We'll make a deal. Uh, no, just kidding. Just being stupid. But if, if, if we just view the church as, a, I mean, a cruise ship where it's like, you go on a cruise, like, you're not there with the mindset of what can I give? Like, how can I wash the dishes? How can I clean the bathrooms? How can I get the rooms? How can I serve someone else? You're there to eat as much steak, bacon, potatoes, uh, ice cream, and whatever else you want until you literally explode. That's why you are on a cruise ship. You want to have as much fun, as much food. If you're a couple married, as much fun as you possibly can without the kids, like you are there for the sole purpose of enjoying and consuming. That's great on a vacation, terrible in the church. Because the church is not called to be a, a cruise ship where you just have all of your needs met. The church is called to put you on mission and put you in the battle that we're in. You know heaven and hell is real. And that, that, that's why we're called not to be on a cruise ship. We're called to be on a, a like we're, we're called to get you on mission. We're here to help you do four things at this church. We want you to know Jesus. We believe if you find Jesus, you find life, hope, happiness, joy, peace. You find what you need. And then you know what? Jesus gives you freedom. We say this. We want you to find freedom. And then we want you to know why you're on this planet. We want you to take a spiritual gift test, personality test. How has God wired you? So then you can go and make a difference in the context that God has put you in. Whatever family you're in, whatever job you're in, whatever church you're in, wherever you go, you see you are the walking living breathing representation of Jesus Christ on this planet earth 
That is what it's about, y'all. That is what the church is supposed to be. That is what the church is called to do. It's to equip you, not coddle you. Equip you, not, not, not just cater to you. Here's, here's the thing. We want to create atmosphere. Like we, 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 want to, hey, we want to have good worship. We want to have amazing preaching. Uh, you know, of course you do. Uh, you know, we, 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 you know, we want to be in the, like, we, we, we want to do things well, but at the same time, we want to know the reason why we do those things well has the right motive and the right purpose, not to just cater to people's needs, but to empower people to go out and be the living, breathing representation, flesh and blood, Jesus in your context. That's why we set out to plant this church. It wasn't just to have a cool experience on Sunday. Church is not something that you just come to on Sunday. It's a family and mission that you join up with to say, hey, as we take all of our parts, as we take the good, the bad, the ugly, the imperfections that we have and put this all together, it makes the beautiful mess of the body of Jesus Christ. That, that actually goes into second, one of the, the second thing that I think the church needs to die to is individualism. So a family can be resurrected. We're being culturally conditioned where the self is first. We are culturally conditioned to where the individual is what matters most instead of the whole. And we've got to see that as a church of Jesus Christ, we cannot be lone rangers. We've got to be part of the family of God, and that's what it is. And our bloodline is not physical blood. Our bloodline is the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on Calvary for you and for me. That is the blood that unites us. Ephesians 2.19 tells us this. Consequently, this is Paul, Paul here talking. He's trying to get to this church he planted in Ephesus, and he wants to tell them about who they are. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know what this tells me? We're all bricks. Welcome to Life House. You're a brick. Right? No, it's like we're, we're all bricks, and as we're joined together, each one of our own parts, as we take all of these bricks and we become this, this, this so-called temple, what it does, God will then come and dwell in that temple, in that, you know, in that body of believers, and through us, Jesus will make himself known. Also, in, uh, Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, he said this, just as a body, though one has many parts, but it's many parts uh, form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but in many. Aren't you glad that not every, every part of the church looks the same, acts the same, talks the same, or just is the same? And I mean, here's, here's the thing. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Where, where it's like, look, we can be unified. We can serve the same God. We can go to the same church and vote differently. <sighs> Moving on. No, no, but it, it's like, I do want to camp here really, really quick. Where we've, we, I know, right? Oh, oh man. No, where, where, 
one of the things that just gets gets me and that I can that just I can see how people that aren't in the church can look can look at us and just be like what in the world is when when it's when it's like we can't even like agree on anything we've got different denominations because of what people believe doctrinally about secondary issues like the Baptists, Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, Lutheran, like all of us would say we are saved, like we are saved not by what we do, but by what Jesus did. We agree there. We agree the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. We agree the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit is who God is. We believe the Bible is God's inspired word. Now, with that, there's probably some secondary things that aren't necessarily, you know, necessarily necessary. That makes no sense. <laughs> that aren't necessary for you to actually be a Christian, right? So it's like we can believe different things about the Holy Spirit, and we can still be brothers in Christ. And we can still operate. We can still say, well, you know what? We can work together. We can join together. Why? Because we have the bloodline of Jesus Christ that unites us. At Lifehouse, we'll say this. We have got open-handed doctrines, and we've got closed-handed doctrines. We have closed-handed doctrines. Like I said, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is death, his, res his resurrection. Like, we are big Jesus people here, right? We believe that Jesus lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died in our place and for our sins, and we can't save ourselves. Only Jesus saves us. We put our faith and trust in what Jesus did, and we are given grace through Jesus Christ, right? We've got doctrines like the resurrection happened. The Bible is God's inspired word. We believe the Trinity is who God is. Those are our close-handed things, but then we've also got these other things, open-handed issues, that, you know what? Christians can discuss and debate, but it should not divide us. It should not divide us. It's like, how can we thrive together as the church if we can't even find some common ground to agree on? So my thing's this. It's like, at the, you know what? At this church, we're going to focus on what unifies us. Because what unifies us is more powerful than what divides us. Jesus' blood is what unifies us. So we've... we've, we've as people in the church, we can't put something secondary above what is, what is primary. I've heard it said this way. we got to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. I'm not stuttering that. I'm just tell, telling you. Right? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. We've got to keep him primary. He's the big E on the I chart. He's the one we got to preach and be about. And we, we, we can't argue and bicker over stuff that in the light of eternity doesn't mean a daggone thing. That's sideways energy. Calvinism, does God choose us or do we choose God? Does God save us or do we play some part in it? I don't care. The bottom line is God saves. Whether he does it or whether I play a part. The bottom line, the equation, God saves. So do you know what I'm going to focus on? God saves. I've heard it said this way. Calvinism, you know, is, is, is basically this whole doctrine, God chooses us. There's nothing we can do. God chooses us. Arminianism is, <coughs> Jesus help me, is this thing. We play a part in that. Our choice, we have free will and things like that. And you know what? I've heard it said this way. Sleep like a Calvinist, but live like an Arminian.
It's like, you know what? I'm going to sleep like God's sovereign, but at the, but at the same time, I'm going to live like I play a part. I'm, I'm going to sleep peacefully. God's in control. He's in charge. But when I am up, alert, awake, I'm going to live as if I play a huge part, which I do. Why? Because God works through people. God works through his church. That's why it's called the body of Christ. We've got to die to individualism so a family can resurrect, y'all. Thirdly, lastly, we've got to die to fear so fearlessness can resurrect. You know, I just, I just think the church, and, and really in the same way, this is what Wakanda was. Wakanda was living in fear. They didn't want to be seen. And the keyboardist, you can go ahead and come on up. That means I'm closing. So hold me to that. But Wakanda was like the church because it was so scared to come out of its four walls when they had what the world needed. They had the answer, but they shrieked back in fear. And that's why you see T'Challa, like I said, in this speech, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, T'Challa, T'Challa, Jesus help me. What is it? T'Challa. Okay. When you had the king of Wakanda, <laughs> I ain't saying that name no more. I don't want to get joked on. But when the king of Wakanda got up and said, we're not going to be a nation ruled by fear no more, there's something powerful in that. And my prayer is that we would be a church that says we're not going to be ruled by fear no more. Because I just think, honestly, a lot of Christians, if we're honest, like if we, you know, we don't want to be awkward and it's like we, we're scared that like, I'm a Christ follower, I go to church, let's have a conversation. And it's like, honestly, I believe many times we shrink back and we don't want to be looked at as being extreme bigots and we don't want to be looked at as being weird and being old fashioned and all of these different things when I believe we're holding back on what the world absolutely needs more than anything. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel changes something that science will never change. And that is the human heart technological advances for years have been being made and being made but at the end of the day that does not put one ounce of purpose in a human soul science cannot deduct why technology can never deduct why and and that's why i say this we can be okay so let's say technology this down the other okay great technology isn't isn't bad but if it's our savior if it's what's going to ultimately give us life why, do, why does every human being on this planet want to know why they're here? Did that just happen from just a bunch of goo coming together and forming this and it just a big bang happened and, and over billions of years we've just morphed to have this hunger in our souls for purpose and why we're on this planet? Science doesn't do that. Evolution doesn't lead to that. Evolution is simply saying this could possibly be a way that we've arrived here. But what the gospel does more than anything is it gives significance to souls and it helps the human heart transform from being a selfish, sinful thing to a selfless servant. And like I said last week, the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is a servant. It's not the position you have, the authority you have. It's, it's not what title you hold, the privilege you have. Jesus says, if you've got more privilege, position, and 
power, you're actually going to be held more responsible because to whom much is given, much is required. But Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom of God is different from what's greatest in the, in the culture. He said what's greatest in the kingdom of God is somebody that will serve. So the greatest thing that God wants is a heart position, is a heart posture. But the gospel is the answer, y'all. I mean, do we really sincerely in the core of our beings believe the gospel is what the world needs? I've been, and here's the thing, I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm preaching to me. Because that's a question. If I truly sincerely believed that, why am I not more bold? Why am, why, am, why am I not more caring? Why am I not more so many things? But the gospel transforms the heart. It compels those who have power to serve. It compels those who have been hurt to forgive. It compels those who have been hurt to not retaliate. It compels people to not take advantage of people, but to want the best for them. It compels those with powers to serve the least of these. Why is it so moving whenever we see somebody with extreme power, give that power up and serve somebody under them? You know, here's the thing, you, you always see superstars, athletes or something like that, taking their millions and millions of dollars and going into maybe into possibly low-come areas and doing things to build up the communities. And they're doing things, hanging out with kids, starting school programs, starting after-school programs, doing those sorts of different things. What is it about us that moves us so much about those stories? I believe it's because this innate thing in us that desires the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what the gospel is. Power, giving up his power to save us. That's what scripture says when you were dead in your sin. You were not just a bad person. You were dead. Everyone say, I was dead. I was dead. You were dead in your sin. You couldn't even get up and do good works to earn your salvation. But Jesus said, when you were dead in your sin, Jesus made you alive with Christ. By coming, by coming and living the life you could not live, dying the death you should have died in your place and for your sins, his death brought you life. And as we individually and corporately die to certain things in that death, life will resurrect. As you die to selfishness, selflessness oozes its way out. As you die to consumerism and this culturally conditioned mentality, you know what can then rise out of you? Generosity. Where you see what you've been given, your time, your talent, and treasure, not as something just to be used for your own benefit, but God is saying, I gave it to you to steward. I gave it to you not for your benefit, but for you to be a blessing to others. That's what the gospel does. The gospel helps us die. It's all about me. To now, it's all about us. The gospel helps us to instead of shrinking back in fear it helps us to put our shoulders back and be like we've got the answer and his name is jesus and yeah i'm going to be criticized i'm going to be ridiculed we're going to be looked at as being old-fashioned we're going to be looked at as being so many different things but i believe this the gospel is the only thing that can transform a human heart and the church was not destined to fail it was destined to win I've heard this said, one of the great church fathers, Tertullian, said this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That those that have gone and preached the gospel and died, it's in those places where the gospel has flourished most. Just makes me think why the gospel isn't flourishing here. What do we need to die to so life can flow out of us, not just corporately, but, in, but individually? Is this making sense? Do you guys see this? I just, 
this is not an easy message. This is not fluff stuff. This is something, but if we take it seriously, if we understand that in our death there is life, I, like I said, I believe we have dying churches because the church won't die. I believe that as we look at ourselves as being a seed instead of as being the reaper all the time, that we'll see the church thrive and the church flourish. And that's my heart for this church. I'm excited to see what God's gonna do through this church. My prayer is we plant hundreds of churches. I pray that the, through this church, we're simply a seed in this community to see life spring up, to, to see kids graduate high school and graduate college, to see fatherless homes have fathers in them, father figures in them. We're just not here just to play games, every, everybody. We're here to be the hands and feet of God, flesh and blood on this planet. And that's what I wanna invite you. I wanna, in, I wanna invite you to believe in the church again. I wanna invite you, if you are a part, to be content in some ways with dying so life can come forth. But as a church, as we die to this consumerism mentality, die to this, to this individualism, as we die to fear, we'll see life rise up, amen? Let's pray, would you just stand with me? We gotta end, I preach way too long. God, we love you. We just wanna Thank you that we get to be a part of this. We get to be a part of the church. That we, we get to be a part of, of being your hands and feet in this world. And God, I just, I just pray right now for every heart out, out there right now. God, that has maybe been hurt by the church, given up on the church. Lord, I pray that that feeling of death that they feel would be the seed to resurrect a new passion and hunger and heart for the church. I pray for those today, God that are grieving a loss. And I'm not just talking about a person. Maybe they're grieving a job, a relationship, marriage, dream. That God, something has died and they're grieving it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort them. Lord, I pray that even as your word says that you are a God that's close to the brokenhearted. So I pray that you would be close to them right now. But I pray that, God, you would eventually move them to seeing their seed, that, Lord, their death not as a sentence, but as a seed. And they would see the death in their life is simply a seed for what you want to resurrect. So, God, I pray for those seeds right now. Protect them. Let them not throw them out. Let them not bolt. Let them not run. Let them take that seed and put it in the ground and say, God, resurrect this when you're ready. Give them patience and endurance. Give them patience and endurance in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed really quick. Jesus' death brought life. And maybe possibly today you are here and you've never made a decision to follow Christ. You've never made a decision to go from death to life. The scripture says it's sin. And sin is simply doing, having this desire in us to do what is opposite of God. It says that when Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross, sin died with him and it gave us the right to become children of God. It gave us the right to be in relationship with God. And maybe today you need to get right with God. Maybe you're far from him. Maybe you've never made a conscious decision to say, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And today I wanna challenge you to do that. What we're gonna do today, we're gonna have everybody pray this pray with me, but if this is you, if, if, if this is a prayer that you're saying for the first time, or maybe the 20th time, but you want to re, you, you, 
you want to rededicate your life, you know you're not where you should be, I just want to pray for you right now. So, so, so look, what we're going to do, I'm just going to have everybody join in on this prayer. And I believe you pray this with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God will hear you and God will answer you. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, anyone that is in Christ, anyone that received Christ, they are a new creation. And I want you to believe today that as you die to yourself today, life will now be free to flow through you and in you. Repeat this prayer after me, everyone. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your death that brought me life. And I receive today your love, your forgiveness, your hope. I give you myself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I receive you. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and for my sin and helping me put to death my selfishness so selflessness can rise through me so I can be an answer to someone's prayer. So I can be someone that gives to this world instead of just takes. Jesus, transform me. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.